Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olivest. On today's episode, we'll be talking about patriarchy in the worlds of chess, gaming, and streaming. And I'm thrilled to be interviewing one of the world's experts on these topics, Alexandra Botez. Welcome to the show, Alexandra. Amy, thank you so much for having me. It's been really cool to hear about where this podcast has been so far and where it's going and delighted to be a part of it. I'm so excited to have you. We in our family have known who you are for a long, long time. My husband, Eric, as our listeners know, runs chess.com and Alexandra's name has come up through many years. You and Eric are friends, Alexandra, and colleagues in the world of chess. So, But just, I guess, your formal bio, and you can correct me if I miss something, Alexandra, but... Alexandra Botez is a chess and variety content creator, a former competitive chess player and member of the Canadian national team. And she's now a Twitch streamer and YouTuber. And I'll add, she's also a Stanford graduate. Woo! And, yay. <laughs> yay. And a worldwide influencer, really, and a huge role model for girls in chess and gaming everywhere. So it's really an honor to have you, Alexandra. And I wonder if you could just start the conversation by telling us kind of who you are, how you grew up, where you grew up, and a little bit about what makes you who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Canada to a family of Romanian immigrants. And in Romania, there was much more of a chess culture than there is in North America. So my grandma passed on the game to my dad, who then taught me and later my sister how to play as well. So I started playing chess when I was about six years old. And I had some good results in tournaments and won a national championship for my age group when I was eight or so. So my dad decided to, you know, push me in the game to keep playing. And then we moved back to the U.S. later. A lot of things were changing throughout. But basically, chess was always this game that I kept throughout different stages of my life. And, you know, I did play in a lot of national tournaments, but I did decide to put chess away for a little bit when I went to college. But in my last year of university, I was starting to miss chess. And it was really hard to take time off to to play chess because tournaments take a really long time. So I started streaming online and just, you know, turn on a webcam and play some Blitz games on chess.com and talk about what I'm thinking and laugh with the community. And at first... I didn't have a good experience because, you know, I turned on streaming and, you know, the entire comments were just saying things like comments on my appearance or sexual nature things. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm not going to stream for fun anymore. But then there was this female moderator actually who came in and helped and started cleaning up the chat and making it a community that was actually really supportive and not sexist and didn't tolerate any of that kind of stuff. And that's when I started focusing more on the community and growing it and figuring that, okay, actually, if I don't tolerate any kind of sexism for the chat, then this could be the kind of community I grow on Twitch, even if it's very different from any other of these online communities. So that was kind of how I got into Twitch streaming. At the time, I had also been working on a startup and we had raised, you know, almost a million dollars in funding from some prominent venture capital firms. And then later we did an accelerator called Y Combinator. And ultimately the startup didn't end up panning out. And when it failed, I had been still streaming chess on the side and decided that, you know what, I'm going to go full time on this. I think there's something there. 
So I moved from the Bay Area where I'd been living for about six years all the way to New York alone because I wanted to get away from, you know, this life that I had known the entire time and just feeling like the startup was a failure. And this is what most of my friends in the Bay Area were working on. And I didn't want to be surrounded by it and just go to New York a really interesting city, stream chess and try to grow the online community, which ended up luckily working out and you know it's grown a lot since then and gone even beyond chess but I was also very fortunate because there are certain external factors I couldn't control like when COVID happened there was way more people playing chess and our viewership 10x not that I'm glad that COVID happened but it was something Mm -hmm. that happened by chance and then later on with Queen's Gambit it made chess a part of popular culture and it just helped our content grow to an extent that I would never have thought was possible. And yeah, that's where I'm currently at. And, you know, right now working on a chess travel show that's going to take place around the World Chess Championship that Twitch is helping fund that we're going to put out. So a lot of really interesting projects. You're like breaking barriers and at like every step of the way. It's so awesome. So I wanted to ask about when you were a kid, because I think of chess and now, yeah, everybody has seen the Queen's Gambit knows by now. And I had so many people reach out to me because like we're the family that people know that's like, oh, it's the chess family. So people reach out to me, even though I don't know anything about chess, but they're like, wait a second. I just watched the Queen's Gambit. So I looked up Beth Harmon afterwards and I'm so mad it was fictional. Like they're so upset because it's this inspirational story about like the first woman in chess and they thought it was a biopic. They're so disappointed. And so I wanted to ask you what that felt like. Were you often the only or one of a very few or small number of girls when you were competing when you were little? And then, yeah, what did that feel like for you in chess and then in gaming, which I also think of as being super male and like young men? But start Mm -hmm. with chess first, I guess. Then we'll go back to gaming. For sure. So, yeah, I mean, when I started playing There were many more males than girls, but I will say this got worse as I got older because when Mm -hmm. I was young, there were actually a lot of girls who were playing chess. They just ended up dropping off later down. And honestly, gender wasn't even something I really noticed as a child because I didn't think about it. I mean, you know, I remember I I went to the U.S. to play a tournament and it was all high school boys and I was like an eight-year-old or something. And the boys would be like, ah, you have an easy game because you're playing against a little girl. But even when I'd hear comments like that, I didn't even, you know, internalize that it was anything like gender. And then my dad thought it was hilarious. I ended up beating them with a perfect record and getting first place. But it really was just there to play the game. And I was confident because my chess abilities at the time, I felt like you know, they were good. And it was giving me this confidence that I didn't really have to worry or think about, but was also, you know, too young to understand. But then as you get older in the chess community, you know, things do start changing when most of your peers who are playing chess are males, you do start to see a very different culture, or even just, you know, subtle hints of sexism from like your friends saying like, oh, yeah, you know, girls will just never be as good as men are at chess. And a lot of people who are really believing this and you start to internalize it more as you're older because you actually start paying attention to it. But I was always trying to not focus on that, just focus on the game, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you did to kind of combat that for yourself. Did you? You just tried to shut it out like any other trash talking you would hear and just be like, whatever, I'm just going to beat them. Or what? how did you deal with it? 
Yeah, I did try to turn it out like that. And in a lot of competitive places, it actually worked doing things like that. And then, you know, with a lot of the chess people who would socialize after, the kind of socializing would be like them trying to pick up girls and talk about girls and things like that. Or even commenting on like different girls who were hot at the tournament and their appearance and like ranking them and things like that. It was very much just, I didn't have that many female friends in the chess scene. So who you could hang out after is very much bro culture, which is probably why I ended up turning into a little bit of a bro myself. People would mm-hmm. joke and call me brotez instead of botez <laughs> because like at some point you just, your personality gets very changed by who you're hanging out with. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I just, try to adapt and make the most of it and try to not be sensitive towards it while, you know, also recognizing that this is still really a problem. And I would see that much more when I started posting content online Mm -hmm. because I would stream chess and I'd see the kinds of criticisms I get or when I'm doing chess.com commentary on like a 1200 game and people would say things like, what does the girl have to say here? You know, just the kinds of sexist comments that I'll get on certain chess videos where like half of the people watching genuinely believe that women are just never going to be as good as men are in chess. Or sometimes I'll make a mistake and I'll be like, aha, see, this is why women cannot play chess. And it's just really annoying to be trying to do a game and then just constantly get generalized into that. While at the same time, also really benefiting from the fact that I'm a woman in the game where I wouldn't have gotten as far in my social media career if I didn't stand out. So I always have kind of this I think the worst part about it is actually this just imposter syndrome that I don't deserve anything that I've achieved in content because of this stereotype that the only reason why I got it is because I'm a girl. Mm -hmm. There's this very strong stereotype on Twitch that female streamers only have viewers because their audience has a crush on them or wants them or anything Mm -hmm. like that. And of course, like we're in the top 0.0, we're in the top 400 of all Twitch streamers, like 0.001%. And people still go down and say, oh, it's because they're females. That's why they get views. And honestly, sometimes it helps a lot. Like I had a video that went viral recently where I was playing a chess hustler. It was really hot. So I was just wearing a white dress because, again, it was like 30 degrees Celsius. And I didn't plan on playing chess hustlers that day. I was going to dinner with my friends and we walked and filmed the video and it ended up blowing up. And most people were like, oh, it's I would be distracted if she played me. It's all because of the looks. It's a cute girl playing chess. So I know it helps, but it also can devalue everything I've done. And I'll be like, oh, it's not because I've been working hard or coming up with ideas or things like that. It's just because I have a competitive advantage because I'm a girl. So that's been the most hard thing. Yeah. I was going to ask you, actually, if you wanted to talk about that, because you do happen to be really pretty. And I was going to ask, Is it seems like it would be a double-edged sword a little bit. And so you kind of answered that. I bet I think it would be hard to make sense of that and to untangle those, you know, whether to lean in on that and be like, yeah, I'm beautiful. And I'm not ashamed of that. And also like you, I want to be taken seriously for my skill and for my intellect. And that is a really tricky thing, I think, for a woman, because obviously, yes, it makes Mm -hmm. you stand out. But at the same time, men can compete in any field. It doesn't matter what they look like. They can be any shape, any size, any face, it doesn't matter because people don't judge men by their looks as much as they judge women. So it's really hard. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, when I started streaming, I even to this day, I don't allow comments calling me hot or cute in my Twitch chat. 
not because I don't find it a compliment, but I don't want the chat culture to be around that. I don't want right. people to be there hanging out with a community and feel like people are coming in because they're just, you know, trying to get with the streamer. I think it ruins the culture and it's not the place for it. You know, yeah. nothing wrong with being said, but our chat is not for that. And yeah. at first it used to really bother me. I remember when some of my photos playing chess went viral when I was in college and they went on the front page of this Reddit called Gentleman Boners. And oh everybody gosh. at my school saw it. It was just me playing chess. And I had a Facebook page that I had been using to get students. And I just turned off my Facebook page. I was like, I'm getting attention from the wrong reasons. And a lot of my chess friends were saying like, yeah, the only, re the only reason people go to you for lessons or things like that is because they're trying to sleep with you. So it completely devalue everything as like a master chess player who's also had been teaching for, I had been teaching since I was 12. So I was also, you know, very focused on, on that aspect of it. And I just felt so embarrassed. So I closed it. And when I started streaming, I also thought the same thing. I was like, I don't want people to be watching just for this. But as things started getting more competitive, I mean, it is really annoying to be put to have so much pressure as a woman on your appearance, but then to also be criticized when you use your appearance to do better. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, if mm -hmm. you're in anything that is media related, how you look is going to have an impact. I would love to just put sweats and not wear makeup and not do my hair and not try and not post photos. But it's part of what I know society values in women. And if I want to be a successful media figure of any kind, I have to put in a lot of time. And this adds a ton of angst on me as well. So again, this is double edged. It might help, but I'm always stressing about my appearance. I have people commenting on myself all the time. It's magnified my insecurities way more than they ever were with social media to the point mm -hmm. where like, I don't even like looking at my own videos anymore. But at the same time, I try to take the approach of it is really hard to be successful in any field. You are given a certain amount of attributes before you go into it. If appearance is something that is helpful and you are using it in a way that is true to your brand, you are just doing what you have with the cards you've been given. And you mm -hmm. should, because other people are doing it. People care about it. The only reason it works is because society values. If you want to self-harm yourself because you know, you're know you like, oh, I don't want it to be just because I look. No, if me putting effort into my looks and then also putting good content is what it takes to be successful as a female, then I have to do it if I want to be successful. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing it from a really intentional place and a place of strength also, rather than like, oh no, I have to do this or I won't succeed. And also I love that you're, what you described earlier about being really adamant about what people are allowed to say on your, you know, in the streaming and in the chats and everything and just being like, absolutely, these sexist comments will not be tolerated. So you're setting the terms for how you want to work in this space. So I think that's so awesome. Can I go back to a, like a really, it doesn't have to be sticky, but I, I guess I'm curious about how you answer going back to that question, because I still read it still all the time from people who say they really claim that women will never be as good as men mm -hmm. in chess. And I, I just had a conversation with a friend the other day who was like totally shocked that they do divide men's and women's chess tournaments by gender. Mm -hmm. Like, wait, but it, it's not sports. Like it makes sense to divide sports because men typically are bigger and stronger, but an intellectual game, are you serious? They divide it by sex and they couldn't believe it. And yeah, people still claim like, yeah, women won't be able ever to compete with men. How do you respond to that, Alexandra? 
Okay, so there's a few things to unpack there. I guess we could talk about female-only events after as well. So the way I see it, right now, women in chess, there's much less in the top 100 than men. So clearly, right now, the strongest chess players in the world are male. Um, and that could be the result of two factors. Either it is something true where men are just predisposed to be better chess players. Like to some extent, it is a sport. Having more stamina or endurance can also help. You know, testosterone has been linked to some kind of analytical skills. You could argue something like that. Second explanation is that it's something cultural where, you know, there's very different roles for women in society, it's been a community that has traditionally not been very friendly to females, a community that when you had, you know, the first female qualify for the candidates, she wasn't even allowed to play despite being a, of that level. It's a place where most of the social groups are all male. So it's harder to find a social group that you're comfortable in and motivating each other if you are, you know, a female player. And I don't think anybody knows the answer for real. I do think when people go too extreme on one end or the other, that's typically when they're wrong. Like we've had Polgar, who was a top 10 player in the world. So I don't think anyone should dispute like, oh, women are just not genetically disposed for it. Because obviously, yes, there are exceptions who can, even if there is small genetic differences, which I just don't, haven't looked enough into it to be able to like make a bold claim. But I think it's very minor. I think most of it has been on the cultural side. And even if there are genetic differences, if there were enough women playing chess, there would be some kind of outlier. And regardless, these female-only events are basically trying to get more girls into the game. So for whatever reason, you believe there's not as many women in the game, either if you think, oh, they're not genetically disposed, or if you think it's a cultural thing, you should be supporting these events because regardless, it's getting more women into the game and it's giving them an opportunity that is, you know, a friendlier environment to play, some financial support, and basically just trying to compensate for the fact that it is historically harder to be a female chess player because you have to deal with things that males don't. You have to deal with people putting you down in the community. You have to deal with objectification. You have to deal with if you want to have a social circle, it's going to be people who you can relate to less than in other activities. It's going to be something that has historically been shown as not being for you. And, you know, from a lot of girls who I've taught or talked to, there were a lot who were just discriminated. They'd be playing at their, you know, high school chess club and never be picked on the team because she was the only female and the boys legitimately didn't want to play with her. And these are things that I think people tend to really look down on and say, oh, it's not a real thing. Everybody's being really sensitive, but it's not true. I mean, if it's a hobby you love and you continually just don't find a community and don't feel encouraged in it, of course, you're going to play less. Mm -hmm. So I guess my TLDR is, I think it's mostly cultural. I don't know for sure if there's any kind of genetic differences, but even if there are, if there were more females playing chess and they have done the studies for this, you would expect more in the top 10 and there would be outliers. And it has been proved with, you know, female players making it into the top 10. So it's not like the female brain cannot do it. I think there have been way more instances where you could show towards culture and society. And I think this also goes with women in STEM where they were just not expected or given the same opportunities. So it just feels so unfair to compare them And even you'd have to think like, okay, you look at the top players now, but where were they 20 years ago? Because that's where you'd have to think like 20 years ago is where you're developing the talent. So maybe 20 years from now, 
we'll see some top female players who are coming in or 15 years from now if you have prodigies but it, it's something that's going to take time and I cannot wait to have our first female world champion that is mm -hmm. going to be just of so much significance I think it's really going to change a stigma that it doesn't matter how many times women say it to have something like that and to be able to point to is just going to make all of the difference. Sometimes arguments are just not enough. Yeah, one thing, and I've thought of chess lots of times as I did the historical project throughout season one, and I would read something, for example, from the 18th century where there were arguments being made that women couldn't write or women mm -hmm. couldn't compose music or mm -hmm. women, I mean, certainly couldn't do math, couldn't practice medicine, couldn't play sports. There were all these concepts in the 19th century of women being like these fainting, weak, frail right. beings that like needed smelling salts at all times because they would just faint away on the couch. And now, you know, 100, 200 years later, like that's absurd to us. And because all of those barriers have been broken and women have been one by one broken through those barriers. But I would read those things and I would think, oh, and there's still those fields where it hasn't happened yet. And so the rhetoric that we hear from men about women it sounds exactly like what men were saying about women in all those other fields. And it's going to sound just as absurdly sexist 200 years from now. Right. In the chess world, they'll be like, can you believe they used to think that women couldn't play chess? And I just, I have to believe that's just going to keep happening in all the STEM fields where women, like you said, like girls and women haven't had the training. They haven't had the support. They haven't had the nurturing environment that, that boys and men have had. So once that playing field has been leveled then we'll see right then we'll Absolutely. see what happens but it's not that day has not arrived yet so on that topic as you just pointed out too that we're I mean it won't take 200 years either in 20 years we'll see like a new crop of girls coming into all of these stem fields and, and chess in particular so I actually just talked to a friend recently who said, oh, my daughter's been in chess for like four years. Maybe she's 10 now or something like that. And she just started to say that she doesn't want to do it anymore. She doesn't want to compete. She's just in her school chess club or whatever, but she doesn't want to do the tournaments at the school anymore. And I asked, this is the mom saying it to me, that she asked her daughter why. And she said, well, all my friends are dropping out. And it's kind of what you described, like when mm -hmm. they're little, they have lots of girl friends. And this mom was like, I don't know whether to push her to stay in chess, but she could tell her. And she said, do you still like chess? And she's like, yeah, I love it. But her hunch is that she, that her daughter's going there and looking around and being like, I'm the only girl in the room now. I don't want to do it. It's not fun. Or not even being the only girl, but you just tend to have a lot of girlfriends as a young girl more often than you have a lot of male friends. So probably her girlfriends are just not doing chess club and it is intimidating mm -hmm. to go to an activity that you used to do and have fun with your friends if your friends are no longer doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So what would you say to young girls who really do like chess and, you know, their friends are dropping out for whatever reason, but they really do like chess? What would you tell them to encourage them? That is really difficult because uh, on one end they can stay in chess club and they can make new friends, right? Mm -hmm. I would try to push a little bit to at least give it a try, you know, say like another three months at the chess club, make some new friends there who play chess because it's not like, you know, girls and, and boys can't be friends. They still can. And just get over that initial hump of girls dropping out and just give it a shot. 
hopefully that will change and, and less will drop out over time. But then if the girl does end up competing more, there's a lot of really cool camps and communities for girls like the Susan Polgar event where they have a camp every year and so many girls go and they become really good friends. And I remember because I used to go to those camps and then I met my closest friend in chess, which was really important because to travel to play chess, you, you know, it's expensive and you need a roommate. And I didn't feel comfortable rooming with a boy and, and mm -hmm. traveling. So I made one girlfriend and then we'd be roommates at all of the events. And it was super mm -hmm. helpful. I would just pu push back through that, you know, initial discomfort try to give it three months, make some friends there too. And then if she gets good at chess, she can start looking forward to these national tournaments where the pool is a lot bigger. And yes, yeah. you have to travel to them, but then you start being able to pick which kinds of friends actually you relate with and you can hang out with. And then when you have that friend group, you just get so much motivated to play good chess. I love that. Well, and that reminds me that you now have like, I know your Instagram account and I think your YouTube and streaming, you're doing it with your sister, right? <laughs> like a double whammy of female awesomeness so how much younger is is it andrea yes and she's six and a half years younger oh she is she's a lot younger than you she's are. a lot younger yeah okay so it probably did it take her a while to like get old enough to be a legit chess player and have you go like oh we could do this together or what's the story there so she had also been playing chess from a young age and i was streaming and i thought it was pretty cool so i started having her as a guest on my stream a couple of times and she was very funny and just such a natural and I really enjoyed streaming with her. So as my stream was growing, I was kind of pushing my sister to start streaming a little bit as well. So like helped get her set up her OBS got her equipment and told her to make her own channel to get started. And she did start doing that. And then I was like, okay, I think it would make the most sense for us for you to come onto my channel. That was when she was considering going to college and she just didn't have that much time to stream. So I was like, okay, just come stream under this channel. But then the pandemic happened. We were more at home and the channel was taking off. So I was like, okay, this is a pretty cool opportunity. If you want to be along for this ride, then take a gap year from college and let's see what we can do. Awesome. That's so yeah. fun. I mean, is that fun to be working with your sister now? Fun like and hard, right? Okay. Because imagine living and working with your sibling it could be very difficult but i think we've managed to do a good job at it and she's really grown a lot because she's very young and she was mm -hmm. straight out of high school whereas you know i had gone to university i had started my own company for three years and then i had grinded on the channel by myself when nobody gave a damn for a year or so so i had a lot more I guess, skin in the game, but also experience. I was like, okay, and I'm bringing somebody very new. So I was honestly kind of worried about that. But she's really grown a lot and taken a lot of responsibility. And, you know, the fact that we have this sibling dynamic now, and I'm working on a travel show where we're going to be traveling together. And it's much better than to do it by yourself and be super lonely. So yeah, I think it's been a very big positive, but mm -hmm. also extremely challenging. Yeah, it would be. But I love that sisterhood and that female solidarity and camaraderie. I just love that. That's so awesome. Do you want to talk a little bit about your show that's coming up? Our show is of being incubated by Twitch, as in they're providing us with support to help bring it to life. Got it. We are signed exclusively to Twitch for live streaming. And it's going to be similar to Anthony Bourdain reservations where, you know, mm. he's traveling the world, there's cuisine, but also a focus on culture, but for chess. And the idea is awesome. to kind of keep chess a part of popular culture and go to places where the chess culture is very unique, explore it, but also show the city. 
So we're going to be going to France first, you know, playing in some of the parks, doing things like that. Then to Norway before the World Chess Championship, where, you know, half of the country is watching chess. 10 to 15 percent of Norwegians have chess.com accounts. They're going for Magnus Fever. So we have some (laughs) events we're setting up there. And then after go to Dubai for the World Chess Championship. So really trying to highlight how cool chess can be and bring the culture of chess to a widespread audience, but also trying to do it in an innovative format where a lot of this will be live streamed. So it's going to be different because it'll feel like you're experiencing it and Mm. you're actually hanging out with the chess community, which is what I think people like about live streams. So it's not just watching a show on it, but it's like, this is really what it's like and you feel Mm -hmm. a part of it. So trying to make it collaborative and, you know, getting feedback from our community and uh, if this is going to be a really big project and if the first three countries are very interesting, then we could expand it into something bigger. Oh, awesome. I'm super excited to watch that. that yeah, thank awesome. you. That's, thank that's you so, so much. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. <laughs> awesome. Okay, one last question and you can decide if you want to answer this or not, but the sponsorship with mm-hmm. FIDE, that the mm-hmm. big thing that's in the news right now, Do you want to explain the situation and tell how you feel about that? Sure. So FIDE recently announced that Motiva, which is a breast implant company, will be the official sponsor of the Women's World Championship in 2021. And of course, this sparks a lot of headlines because it's inherently hilarious. Breast (laughs) implant company sponsors Women's Chess Championship. FIDE is the International Chess Federation. And the International Chess Federation, you know, they haven't been, I'm just going to keep it out, they haven't been the most friendly towards women. Some people in the community have called them misogynistic. And there's just a lot of mistrust with FIDE when it comes to women. So the idea of having breast implants sponsor the world championship felt like a slap in the face to many. Chess was supposed to be this game where you really focus on the mind. and in every other aspect of society, there's so much value placed on a woman's appearance. And now the most prestigious chess event for females is going to have a sponsor, which FIDE tried to paint as doing for mostly reconstructive, but they are a cosmetic company. You know, 75% of people who get the procedure do it for cosmetic reasons. So it is really appealing to women in a cosmetic way. So One, I understand why that's shocking. And a lot of people would ask, would FIDE have allowed, you know, Viagra or things like that to sponsor the men's championship? Because the issue with doing something like this is it it could kind of change the branding around the game, affect other sponsors. And it also sends a really strong message where, you know, maybe if you're a female watching chess, you want to be able to just watch chess and see women compete without being reminded about things about appearance, which in some ways can feed into women's insecurities. Okay. And now on the flip side, Motiva has been sponsoring women's chess events since 2015. Hmm. The company really cares about women's chess. They care about being able to provide them the best, you know, possible conditions in tournaments. They do little spas for them outside of the tournament room to help have better conditions. They are on the UN charter for women. They try to position themselves as empowering women and being a better choice for women who decide to get plastic surgery. When they did do things together with 
women at events, half of the competitive female chess players agreed to do a video. And the video was about how to check yourself for breast uh, examination. And all of the marketing they've done around it for the events hasn't been like pushing breast implants, but has been women's health. And the company truly does seem to stand for this when you look at it a little bit deeper. And they are the biggest corporate sponsor that female chess has ever gotten. So the, it's a very important question to ask, well, would we prefer that the sponsor is not there? Which I don't think should be the case. I think the responsibility is on FIDE because if they're taking a sponsor like this and they're calling 2021 the year for women's chess, they got a sponsor, but I don't think they've changed the prize funds for the women's world championship compared mm. to what it was the year before. So if FIDE wants to bring on sponsors like this, then they should really give a bigger cut to the females. And honestly, I think most of it is, it's so weird to have the year that was the biggest for chess. And I feel like FIDE just does not have that many corporate sponsors. But again, then you look at who else is sponsoring, you know, women's chess event. It's like gas companies in Russia. Is that much better? I mean, FIDE hasn't been the best known at getting any kinds of sponsorships in the past. So it's not like the expectations on them are super high. I think the breast implant company did nothing wrong. They've been supporting women's events for a really long time. And I think they're, they have a true genuine interest in it. It was more on if FIDE should consider if this makes the most sense for a partnership or could they have actually searched for more sponsors or right. if they are getting a sponsor like this that has some uh, potential drawbacks, what are they actually doing to push women's chess? Because you can't say 2021 is the year of women's chess, not increase the prize fund, get headlines with breast implants, sponsor FIDE championship. No, if, if they're doing something like that, I want to see them really giving back and actually standing up to their message of empowering women. And then I think, you know, we can take back the narrative and be like, yeah, this is a women's health. We're not encouraging it, but we're also allowing women to do whatever choice they want with their bodies. And that is totally okay. We're working with a company that has been supporting women's chess events since before it was cool and because they really care. And if you look at the company, they are trying to be very friendly towards women. And you can change the narrative, but FIDE also has to be doing their part and truly supporting women's chess if they do things. Yeah, that really complicated the narrative for me. I'm grateful for all of that, those different points of view. That's great. I really, and I was really proud of chess.com's response to it too. We had a lot of philosophical debates about it at the, not debates, actually just discussion with our kids at the dinner table about mm -hmm. plastic surgery and how it can be individually empowering and how it's mm -hmm. each woman's choice, but that we think that there's a problem in the world that makes so many women feel like they have to have plastic surgery in order mm -hmm. to live up to beauty standards. And then that, and in terms of sponsorships that came up at the dinner table as well, in terms of like, well, great, then who's a better sponsor? Please come forward, right? Who, who then, like you just said, who then is willing to come and say like, I'll support women's chess from a, a completely, you know, non-controversial entity that comes forward and, ha and is more aligned with like the intellectual side of things. Nobody's coming forward. So it's just, you know, you're grateful to get the sponsorship that you have. So it's a complicated issue. Exactly. But um, yeah, hopefully the world will continue to change. I mean, it's awesome that you're doing your show that will, you know, keep chess on everybody's radar and women's chess on people's radar so that girls are staying in chess clubs and so that more sponsors do come to the table so that maybe Motiva stays a sponsor if they really care about it. But they're one of many who are contributing and maybe that would be, you know, an improvement for the future. Yeah, absolutely. We're recording this episode in October and so this will air and maybe there will have been changes by right. then. But right. 
All right. Well, Alexandra, it's just been a total pleasure to talk with you today. I'm so grateful to hear your stories and your experiences. I think you're just a rock star and just really excited to, to have you participate in the on the podcast. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me, Amy, and looking forward to seeing it out. Huge thanks one last time to Alexandra Botez. So impressed with her for breaking down barrier after barrier, for blazing the trail for so many other women and girls. And I truly hope that we do get to see our first female world chess champion soon. Because Alexandra's right, things are going to change. They're changing right now, and they're changing thanks to people like Alexandra Botez. Before I go, I'd also like to thank Sam Rose Preminger for our production, Brianna Jovan for our editing, and Lindsay Olibest for our social media. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for this interview and for this wider historical project beyond. It's wild to think we're already entering autumn and nearing the end of this season where we've heard so many amazing voices from so many different perspectives. Our entire team counts ourselves lucky for this opportunity to chronicle episode after episode of knowledge and experience here. But ultimately, what gives this project meaning is having you here with us listening. So thanks once again for tuning in every week, for keeping the conversation going online and in your daily lives, and for recommending the podcast to others. Please do make sure to continue listening because we've got some phenomenal episodes on the horizon, including next week when we'll be joined by brilliant thinker and writer John Ogden and our very own Eric Olibest with humbling and eye-opening examinations of male privilege, plus some practical steps that men can take to create changes in culture, in our faith institutions, and in men's own minds. So make sure to join us next week for John Ogden and Eric Olibest next time on Breaking Down Patriarchy.